The passage that we're going to read and the topic of the message today deals with something that we are all guilty of at some point. Maybe not all the time, but all too much of the time. We fall into the sin and experience the danger of careless and cold worship. On this day, in which at 10 o'clock in the morning it was 95 degrees, we're going to talk about cold worship. Okay. And a little irony there. What is it now? It's probably pushing 100 right now. From Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governors. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Here we end the reading of God's word. Lord, send your spirit to illumine the text of scripture so that we understand but send your spirit also to convict our hearts 
and to lift us up to greater faith and obedience to your word. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Malachi, the prophet, writes at the, uh, after the exile in Babylon, as many of the nation have, have returned, it's addressed to Israel, but there is only Judah actually left of the two kingdoms. The northern kingdom has been taken into captivity, and though some may have drifted back into the land, there is no great return of people as there was with the southern kingdom of Judah returning after the Babylonian captivity. Malachi writes after the exile, and he writes to those who have come back to the land, who have uh, begun to live again in the land, but something is wrong. The very same people who were exiled because of their unbelief and their idolatry and their gross immorality, now having experienced the gracious salvation of God, are falling back into sinful patterns of life once again. And so God, through Malachi, addresses a whole sequence of their sins, of the, of the sins that are growing up among the people. And, of course, you could look through the book of Malachi. There's, there's the issue the first year of, uh, of uh, worship that is uh, disregarded, that is polluted, that is uh, offered insincerely by the priests. There is the problem of divorce. There's the problem of withholding their offerings and tithes to, to, the, uh, to the Lord. There's uh, a number of different issues that Malachi must address. But the first one he addresses is this. And it's actually not the issue of cold worship. Well, we've been talking about worship and we're going to talk about worship. I'll let you... I'll, I'll tell you what the first issue is in a moment. It's always good when you're talking about something to define the term. What is worship? What is worship? Well, where do you go when you want to find a definition? You go to the... I can tell you're Presbyterians. <laughs> You, you have passed that test. You are definitely Presbyterian. Where do you go when you want to find a definition? Better, better, good, okay. Just telling me you're still with us here. And the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, says this. The act of paying divine honors to the supreme being. What a great definition. Religious reverence and homage, adoration or acts of reverence paid to God or being viewed as God. Of course, they've kind of included a whole range of things in there. Beings viewed as God? A nameless supreme being? Uh, doesn't, quite, doesn't quite reach out and capture the moment here. A, a very simple definition of worship is declaring the worth of something to and and actually this is very often what the bible teaches us that when it says you are worthy lord or in the book of revelation you are worthy spoken to the lamb of god you are worthy to receive power and honor and dominion and so forth you are worthy that is an act of worship well let me read a paragraph to you from our directory for worship from the opc's uh, uh, book of Church Order. 
And it's not so much a technical definition as it is a description of what we are here to do today in worship. God's people not only are to come into his presence with a deep sense of awe at the thought of his perfect holiness and their own exceeding sinfulness, but also are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise for the great salvation that he has so graciously wrought for them through the only begotten Son, and which he applies to them by his Holy Spirit. All are therefore to worship with sincere devotion, reverence, and expectation. Sincere devotion, reverence, and expectation are the things, the, the attitudes and the, the, uh, the frame of mind that we ought to bring to worship. And we worship not only because God, uh, because we, we confess our, or we are in awe at the thought of God's majesty and, and his, his goodness and his power, but also with great joy because he has saved us and has given us his grace. That's a description of worship. It's a description of how we ought to worship God. But this was something that was falling by the wayside in Israel, in the return among the returned captives uh, to the uh, to Jerusalem and to the temple, and especially God points to the priests, who were the ones who were in charge of offering the sacrifices during their times of worship. I said we were going to say, what, what is the first issue that Malachi addresses? Well, it is not primarily, it's not first of all worship, but it's something else. And I think Malachi has put this first, or God has inspired Malachi to put this first, because this really is at the root of all the other problems that are creeping into the people, among the people, and the priests, and so forth. This is where the root problem lies. And it's in the first part of the chapter that we read, where God, where, where the people uh, say, they have a question. They have a question. Well, God begins by saying, I have loved you. And the people respond with a question. How have you loved us? How have... Have, how have you loved us, Lord? Now, that's an astounding question, isn't it? I have loved you, says God. How? Say the people. Do they have to be reminded? And, and, and God takes them all the way back to the time of Jacob and Esau. And reminds them, there were two brothers. They were fraternal twins. They were twin brothers. And they could not have been more different. By the way, Jacob was, and he says, I have loved Jacob and I've hated Esau. There's, there's the first example of your love, of my love to you. That is, I chose your father Jacob. To be the one who would bear the covenant promises. To be the one on whom I would bestow my grace and my love. And Esau, I turned aside. Now, of course, if you go back to Genesis and read the stories of Jacob and Esau, Jacob was no prize, was he? 
Jake, I would not trust Jacob as far as I could spit. Well, there's an image that will stick with you, right? And it usually dribbles down my chin. I w- you would not trust Jacob. Jacob was a liar, a cheat from the very beginning. He's the one who pulled, who, who stuck his hand out before he was even born and grabbed his brother's ankle to get ahead of him. And yet, God loved Jacob. You ask, how have you loved us? God loved Jacob, your father. And he hated Esau. Here's the point. This is the point. And by the way, isn't it interesting that Paul uses and paraphrases this statement here that he loved Jacob and hated Esau. He uses that in Romans 9 as a proof of the doctrine of election. He says this, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. He's quoting from Malachi at that point. Election, love, grace, they are a complex of words and concepts that cannot be separated. And this is the root of the problem. They had forgotten. They had forgotten God's grace. Not only God's grace shown in the election of Jacob over Esau, not only the, uh, the grace of God shown in the, the people's deliverance from Egypt, not only the grace of God shown in the restoration from Babylonian captivity, they had forgotten all of these evidences of God's love. That's at the root of their falling back into sin. What should be our response to grace and love and election? What should be our response to that? It should be a life of wholehearted love and gratitude and devotion where we see everything that we do and everything that we are is dedicated to the glory of God and to the worship of him and the excellence of his name. That's why a man back in Geneva had this symbol of the the flaming heart in an outstretched hand. My heart, I give you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. That was his response to God's love. And it ought to be ours as well. But this response had become cold. It had become careless. And it led to a multitude of issues now creeping up into the people. The first here, the first specific issue is this issue of cold, careless worship 
And he points particularly at the priests. The priests were the leaders of the worship of the people. The priests officiated at the temple. They led the prayers of the people. They offered the sacrificial uh, incense of the morning and evening prayers. And they were the ones who offered the sacrifices of animals. And there were literally, as the temple, uh, the temple worship was in full swing, as it were, there were literally thousands of animals a day to be sacrificed and offered. And yet, what's happening? Well, God had given them very specific rules for worship. They were to offer animals that were without blemish. They were offer, to offer animals. They were, offer, they were to offer animals in keeping with their vows. And then sometimes a person would make a, a special vow to offer someone as something, and, and they, they would find a way to renege on that vow. Or they would bring animals that were imperfect, that were blemished, that were, uh, had broken bones, or even animals that had been stolen from somebody else. That's what the priests were guilty of. These were symptoms, though, of their careless and cold worship. In response to God's grace, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. But when we begin to act more like the priests of Malachi's day in our worship, when we come with cold hearts, not, not hearts on fire, but cold hearts, not outstretched to the service and glory of God, but calculating and thinking of other things, a whole, a whole raft of other things crowd into our minds and our attention during the times of worship. When we think that God might understand if we offer a little less than our best in worship. When we forget what we once were in bondage to sin. And we forget what God did for us on our behalf. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When the time was right, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman and born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We have forgotten. When we come with cold, careless hearts to worship, we have forgotten those truths. They are absent from our thinking, and we have become self-centered. Let's say also that goes right hand in hand with careless and cold worship is self-centeredness. It is, if we talk about original sin, well, I think selfishness is the original <laughs> sin. It's, it's something that we are all inclined to, to be. God through Malachi is confronting them because they have forgotten the salvation that God has graciously and lovingly applied to them. 
and they have begun to wander in their own paths, in their own ways, and do what is right in their own eyes, and they are offering false worship. And let's not sugarcoat this. I, I said this is careless and cold, but those words really don't capture it. As we'll see in a, in a few minutes, God describes this careless, cold worship as evil, as evil. And he, and he charges the people who, who are involved in this with profaning his table, the table of, of the, the sacrifice, and profaning his name, disrespecting his name. We even have a commandment on that, don't we? About not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And he says, because of your, because of your forgetfulness, because of your cold worship, you are profaning my name. These are the symptoms of careless and cold worship. Let's go through the, the passage again and look at some of these symptoms that Malachi names. There is no honor or fear of God evident in their worship. Verse 6 of the passage says this, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? You, you come to worship me, but there is no honor in your worship. There is no respect, no awe, no fear of God in your worship. Let me put it this way. Your worship shows that you are practical atheists. You want to be, oh no, I believe in God. I know there's a God. Well then show it in your worship. Show him the honor that is due his name. Show him the respect. Show him the love and gratitude that he deserves. If you do not do these things, you, are, you may profess with your lips that there is a God in heaven, but with your actions you are saying, there is no God, there is no God to see what we're doing down here, there is no God to hold us to account. You are practical atheists. There is no honor or fear of God evident in their worship. The priests, those who worship, and by the way, we are a kingdom of priests here today, the priests who worship become doers of evil. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? You are breaking God's commandments in your acts of worship. That is evil. Our larger catechism uh, has a very interesting question that are, are some sins more heinous than others? And it says yes, and it depends on the circumstances in, in which we, uh, under which we commit those sins. Some are, and some sins are very serious when they are done on the Lord's Day. When they are done even during times of worship. When you bring polluted animals and sacrifices, when you bring those who are lame and blind and, and, and contrary to the instructions that I gave you for worship, you are doing something that is evil. And you are doing it in the face of the God who sees. Worship becomes weariness. 
Have you ever gotten up on Sunday morning and said, oh boy, I just really, I'm not looking forward to getting the kids ready. Ah, it's a great football game on in another hour. There's so many things I need to do today. I gotta make that trip down from Big Bear. Well, I'm the only one who comes from Big Bear. Um, gotta make that trip down here. What a weariness is worship. And I confess, there have been days, even as a pastor, where I've just, oh, I gotta do this again. It's a weariness. And the people were saying, the priests were saying, what a weariness this is. What a, what a chore, what a burden it is to officiate at worship. By the way, and I'll tell you, God has been extremely gracious to me in this regard. And I want to say this publicly in order that you would give him honor and praise. There have been days when I just, my, just, oh, my heart was not in it. And those were the days that during the time of worship, as I stood before God's people and proclaimed his word, I could almost literally feel his spirit's present and, and doing something between me and the congregation and God himself. And that is, he would fill me with energy. He would fill me with joy. He, and, and, and I will tell you, on those Sundays where I was lacking in my fervor and my love for God, his grace to me was also, in a way, a rebuke to me. You cold person, you careless person, I'm going to remind you of my presence, and I'm going to remind you of my goodness to you, even though you do not deserve it. That's why I say God was gracious on those days. He was teaching me to love worship, not to look at it as a burden. He was teaching me that there is great joy in worship that is offered in spirit and in truth. There is great power and, and strength that comes to us as we enter into his gates with praise. Worship becomes weariness. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. Worship again. Uh, you bring what has been taken by violence or the lame and sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? This reality, or this, this attitude, it's a burden. It's a weariness. It ought to be a reality check to us that something is not right. When that little red warning light on your dashboard starts flashing, it's telling you something's not right with your car. If we ever fall into that burden of, or that, that habit of saying worship is a burden and it's weariness, that's that little red light flashing. There's something wrong with you. It's not wrong with worship. It's not wrong with God. It's wrong with you. And you need to do a reality check. Those are some of the symptoms that Malachi describes of this cold and careless worship. But then let's get to the danger, because it is dangerous as we fall into this, this attitude of 
cold worship. It is, there are dangers. And let me list a few of them for you. We begin to despise the name of God. That is a dangerous thing. That is directly contrary to one of the great commandments that he gave. O priests who despise my name. But you say, don't you love these questions? They're kind of, well, really? How, How do we despise your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. We have despised your name. That's a dangerous place to be in. Despising the name of God. The name of God is one of the ways by which he reveals himself to us. He revealed himself to Moses by revealing to Moses his own, if you will, personal name. Not a title of God, but the name of God. I am. Jesus claimed that name for himself in his confrontation with the Pharisees and the legalists, those who hated him. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. That is God's name, the self-existent, eternal, powerful, changeless God. And when we come with cold hearts, we are profaning, despising his name. That's danger. That's calling on God for judgment. There's also the danger of God withdrawing his favor from us. Malachi uses the analogy of a governor. Present that to your governor. Present a, 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 a mangled sacrifice or a gift to your governor. And see what he does. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And then he also goes on and said, do you expect me when you call upon me to to favor you, to pour out blessings on you? And you bring these these, uh, broken animals to sacrifice before me? Do you think I'm going to show favor on you? Would your governor do it? No. And so there's the threat here. There's the danger that God would withdraw his favor from his people. That doesn't mean he's completely rejecting his people. His covenant stands. He does not reject his people either finally or fully, but he does bring judgment, chastisement upon them. And that is furthered by the next thing. A curse comes. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. There's a part of this passage where God looks, forces the people to look beyond Israel and says, I'm a great king, and even though you do not honor me in your worship, I will be honored in the nations. I will be honored by the nations. What do you think of Jesus Christ when you come to worship him on the Lord's day, on his day? What do you think of Jesus Christ on the Sundays where you gather around the Lord's table and partake of the the elements of the Lord's Supper to remind you of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he did when he died on the cross? Do you remember that this same Jesus who gave himself on the cross for our sins 
It's also called Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will be honored among the nations, even if you do not honor him in your hearts and by your actions. I'm a great king, God says. I will be honored by the nations. If not by you, I will be honored by the nations. If you do not believe, I will take the gospel to the nations. Really, in a way, the, the, the commission to go into the world is, is in a way a rebuke to those who have rejected Jesus. Our worship will become unacceptable in the sight of God. That ought to be the great thing, the, the, great, the great expectation. Remember, we, we, ex, we come to worship with a sense of expectation. But the expectation is not primarily for us, for our blessing, for our benefit. The expectation is this, that in our worship, God will be pleased and glorified. His name will be lifted up. People will be drawn to faith in Christ. The triune God will be magnified in our worship. That ought to be the, the great expectation. Instead, God says this. Oh, that there was someone to shut the doors. I cannot think of a worse thing to say about a worship service. Because what God is basically saying, it would be better that you did not worship at all than that you bring your cold, careless, self-centered worship to me. It would be better that you shut the doors and went home, watch your football game, watch, do your, your work on the Lord's Day. It would be better than the hypocrisy of false worship. Let me read you what God said through Isaiah, the beginning of the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. It follows the same line. It's really an expansion on that, that thought, oh, that someone would shut the doors. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He's not addressing the rulers of Sodom. He's addressing the rulers of Israel and, and Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths are the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your, of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God is saying that about the worship that he himself has ordained, but is being conducted by faithless people. I, I just, I'm glad Paul didn't end with Romans 3, and I'm glad Isaiah didn't end at this point, too. 
Because here's what Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah next. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You see, even in the midst of God saying, your worship is a burden to me, I cannot even stand to observe your worship. Oh, that somebody would shut the doors. But then he says, come here. Come to me. Let's sit down and let's reason together. Because I'm going to hold out the offer of gospel repentance and gospel faith once again to you people. And even though your sins are red and scarlet, as, as red as the backdrop lighting on the speech the other night, I'm just wondering how many of you... Even though your sins are red and scarlet, I will wash you and you will be white and pure and spotless. Come now, let us reason together. So I say to you, if you've ever wrestled with the coldness of worship and the carelessness of worship, if you've ever been overwhelmed by self-centered thoughts as you come to worship God, if your life is not that living sacrifice that God says we should offer, come. Let us reason together, says the Lord. There is always opportunity for confession, repentance, confession, restoration, because God's grace is eternal. His covenant cannot be broken. His grace will stand. How have you loved us? I loved you when I made a covenant with Abraham. I loved you from before the foundation of the world when I chose you in Christ. I loved you in the course of time as I brought and guided the, the course of history to a point where in a manger, in a stall in Bethlehem, a child was born and his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I loved you when I sent my son to the cross. I loved you when I sent my spirit to raise him from the dead. I loved you when I told my apostles to take the gospel to the nations of the earth. I loved you when I poured out my spirit into your heart and opened your eyes and gave you a new heart. I loved you from the moment you were born to the moment you die. And I will love you beyond the grave. For the moment of your death, you will be immediately made holy in my presence. And so shall you ever be 
with the Lord. I loved you when I prepared a place for you at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I will love you eternity forward, even as I loved you eternally looking back. What will you say to that love? Is there any place in your heart when you contemplate the love of God, is there any place in your heart left for cold, careless, self-centered worship? I pray the answer is no. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, cold worship comes from cold hearts. Disobedient worship comes from disobedient hearts. Faithless worship comes from faithless hearts. We pray, Lord, that we would not fall into these sins, but we would, in fact, remember your eternal love, and that love would inflame our hearts with joyous thanksgiving, so that we would enter into your presence with praise into your courts with praise, into your presence with thanksgiving. That we would sing our songs from the heart and we would read the scriptures with new eyes and that the Holy Spirit would speak to us through the word and that Jesus Christ may be all in all for us. In his name I pray, amen.